Thank you for listening to the Post Bulletin Podcast. I'm your host, Randy Brock, and alongside me today is Jeff Peters, editor of the Post Bulletin. Jeff, Hi. how are you doing today? Great. How are you, Randy? Good, good. And we're recording on a beautiful sunny day. And just for the record, the date is uh, 2 2020 Yes. That we're recording. We're recording on 2-20. Tomorrow will be a little less magical than right. that. But, <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it gets a little hard to type. You know, we type our, our story names on the computer with the two the two the O two two zero two zero and it kind of feels like this weird staccato right. um, like you could just keep going. Yeah. You could just exactly. keep going, just keep going. Twos and zeros. It's like pie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Forever. <laughs> yeah, this morning too I, I was talking to my thirteen year old and I said, Today's an anagram and he said, No, it's not. He said that was February second. Oh. O two O two, but yeah, and maybe he could be wrong. I haven't actually done the diagnosis on that. Well, let's yet. do that afterwards. So, here we'll figure <laughs> we that out. A lot we could maybe have an addendum to the podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. we probably put everyone we'll to sleep it. already. So, what do we? We're talking with a few guests today. Why don't you give us we a lowdown are. on who we're chatting with? today? Sure. Yeah, um, we are talking uh, first today. We'll visit with Emily Cutts, who is our public safety reporter. She has a piece coming out this weekend on diversity efforts uh, in hiring in the police department. It's uh, part of a report that she worked on with another reporter, Randy Peterson. Uh, He covers city and county government for us, and so he wrote about the similar issue, but for the city and county government. So kind of an important issue with uh, those governments trying to reflect the composition, the makeup of the community that they yeah, serve. Absolutely. And so they have trouble with uh, with hiring uh, diverse, diverse people in those roles. So we can talk to her a little bit about that and what she learned there. Uh, we'll bring in Brian Todd. He covers the uh, area counties for us. And uh, he went out to um, the Mississippi River yesterday and right. uh, is making some calls today and working up a story for the weekend edition about the spring flood forecast, which is uh, on everybody's minds, especially uh, this week with uh, the Governor Walls uh, coming out and asking for some more money ahead of time uh, for right. the disaster fund. Yep. So we've got a story going there. And then last of all, we'll have Ken Klotzbach, our photo editor, although I think the alternative pronunciation is close bash. We were close bash? Told. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, we'll ask him about us. that. We'll get the correct <laughs> pronunciation, obviously. But yep. uh, uh, so, uh, so Ken is going to talk to us a little bit about a photography project that the department's working on. Yeah, this And is that'll cool. tie in with a yeah. gallery that they have on our website that you'll be able to see, maybe even look at it while you're listening to the podcast. Yeah, so, this is yeah. great. I'm looking forward to all these conversations. I'm, you know, really interested, too, to hear about the perspective of uh, Brian from what he heard regarding the flood outlook because I was looking at it the first edition and they have three they'll update the flood outlook on February 27th and then at early March I think it's March 2nd or thereabouts and, and usually, just a quick note they in this case is who the Corps of the, Engineers the National right? Weather Service oh, the actually weather issuing service. Okay. the flood outlook and then the okay. Corps of Engineer also does the uh, the ice measurement in Lake Pepin, you know, getting an idea of when it's going to be safe for barges to come through. And the ice actually gets really thick out on Lake Mm -hmm. Pepin in spots up to numerous feet, whereas in other spots, any angler will tell you, too, that it could be pretty shallow depending on the flow. Right. Um, But, you know, when the flood outlook comes in from the National Weather Service in February, as a meteorologist here for 18 years, it's Mm -hmm. usually, it's just, you kind of dismiss it. It's a big deal yeah. uh, to get that info, but this year in particular, we have had such a setup with heavy rain. It just didn't stop raining last spring, right? and it kept raining through the summer. We had a very wet fall. Mm-hmm. On top of that, despite the fact that it doesn't seem like this winter's had a whole lot of bite, we've got a lot mm-hmm. of snow. So you take all the moisture that's been in the soil, 
take the moisture now that's on top of the ground, mm -hmm. and uh, the numbers are pretty impressive as far as yeah. what we're looking at for spring potential. So hopefully right. we dodge a bullet. Yes, hopefully. When is the last time? I'm just curious. This question arose as you were speaking. Uh, when's the last time we've had weather that we would call normal? I just think back. Uh, every every year yeah. kind of has some piece of abnormality to it that right. uh, uh, you wonder. So there's a really interesting study that the National Weather Service has actually done regarding the precipitation that mm -hmm. we've received, both the rain and the snow. Yeah. And I'm going to write about that in my next Monday article as far okay. as, you know, once we get past the information on the forecast. Postbulletin.com. Postbulletin.com yeah. yeah, right. is where I have uh -huh. that every Monday. Yeah, yeah. video <laughs> and the article. But they've done a study that shows the amount of precipitation has increased pretty drastically in just the last, say, 10 to 15 years. Okay. The number of flood events that we get that we would call a 1 in 100 year flood or one mm -hmm. in 500 year flood has increased to the point where you see them far more often right. than 100 years or 500 years. Right. And you can go back to 2007 and then 2008 and 2012 and 13 and mm -hmm. these events like the May snowstorm uh, and oh, gotcha. then the heavy rains that we've had. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have the flood control project, if we did not have that in Rochester, oh, we would see floods that have well surpassed 1978. Yeah, we're really uh, protected pretty well here, aren't we? Yeah, so the acceleration of, of those events in the last, in, in recent years is, is pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. And it's easy to dismiss that because we're, we're not underwater right. uh, every few years because of that flood control project. Right. Yeah, well, if you're listening to this outside of Rochester and one of the surrounding communities, maybe that's not a lot of comfort to you. And right. I know, in fact, that there's always sometimes a little bit of chatter about exactly. whether we're uh, worsening the situation for other places with what we do here. I'm yeah. not sure if that's true, but it would be an inter interesting story to look at sometimes. Some would to, say, to you know, yeah. and if you pay attention to a lot of the remarks on Facebook, a lot of people do mm -hmm. feel that way. But the reality is, is that you're you're moving it along essentially quicker to the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. um, but that precipitation is there either way. True. So the rain's there either way. The snow is there either way. Yeah. Um, the Mississippi, I've seen friends who, you know, are regularly retrieving their docks mm. uh, when mm -hmm. they put them out on the Mississippi. So it's problematic yeah. there. And then, of course, then, you know, we're watching floods now. And I could go on and on about the weather, yeah. Jeff. But you know, we should, <laughs> you know. we should, we, but we could have a podcast sometime about that for sure. Let's yeah. let's make a time to, right. to talk about that. Maybe bring in a guest and 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 get into that issue a little more. It'd be fun. Bring yeah. them in from the National Weather Service too. But yeah. maybe for now, let's bring in uh, who's first up, Emily. Emily, we'll bring Cuts. Emily in next. Yeah, we're going to talk with Emily about her story on diversity within the Rochester Police Department. Emily Cutts, reporter here at Post Bulletin, has joined us now. Emily, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. You bet. And uh, Jeff, why don't you give us a little intro here of uh, the story? We talked a little a little before about what's going on. Sure, yeah. I mean, well, we have a, a big enterprise uh, reporting package in just about every Saturday edition of the Post Bulletin, and reporters take turns uh, producing those. This weekend, uh, the, the feature will be a uh, story by Emily and uh, done in cooperation with Randy Peterson, who covers our uh, city, uh, Rochester city government and Olmstead County government. Emily covers the uh, police department, the courts, the sheriff's department. Uh, they are writing together about diversity of hiring in those uh, departments and uh, kind of an important issue when you look at how Rochester is becoming uh, particularly a more diverse city. And, uh, you know, some of the challenges, I guess, that they've, uh, they've faced getting their workforce to reflect that. So, uh, so anyway, I guess I thought Emily would have some interesting things to share with us about that whole thing. And 
Um, you know, maybe if I could start asking you a question, and Randy, you can ask some questions here with us too, but sure. uh, 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 tell us how you guys came to, to this topic. Why now and, and why this topic? Um, well, it's a census year, so I think that has a lot of people thinking about who lives in Rochester, who makes up our community, who lives in our state, who lives in our country. Um, and as far as I am aware, there is not a census uh, that's done of state police departments. The BCA collects information on um, gender in part of their annual crime reporting, but mm -hmm. that's, at least I found, as deep as they go um, to looking at who is policing our state. Um, and I think, you know, as we'll learn more about who makes up our Rochester community, it's interesting to look who who has the power in our community and is it reflective, you know, of who lives in our community. Yeah. So why would that be important, do you think, particularly maybe for law enforcement to have uh, that be reflective of the community? Um, well, when I spoke to Dee Sable of the Diversity Council, um, you know, she can, and a lot of people that do work in this arena can point to a lot of research that says when people see someone that look like them in a position of power, um, not only does it make them maybe more responsive to that, but it also makes them think that that's a job that I could have. Um, so it's not just if I see a police officer that's a woman, I can do that job, but if I see a, a teacher that looks like me or I see a doctor that looks like me or really any sort of career field, if you see someone that looks like you, it's easier to imagine yourself have A, having that job, mm -hmm. and B, there may be a just a little bit more of an understanding of that person at least knows what it's like to be this type of person in this type of society. Mm -hmm. So what are the barriers, do you suppose? I, well, well, first of all, actually, maybe I'm jumping ahead here. So what did you actually find out, I guess, about the level of diversity in the, in the police and sheriff's departments compared to the community? Um, it varies. The, something I was surprised to learn when I was speaking with Sheriff Torgerson, who's the Olmsted County Sheriff, um, in his time with the Sheriff's Office, whether just his time, not necessarily just as Sheriff, but in his recollection, he couldn't think of ever having an African-American patrol deputy. Um, they have people of color that work at the Olmsted County Adult Detention Center, but he couldn't think of a time where they had an African-American patrol deputy. Um, which to me was a little bit shocking in this day and age um, that that's never happened. And yeah. for the Rochester Police Department, it wasn't until 2004 that they had, um, uh, they hired at around the same time an African-American woman and an African-American man as mm -hmm. full-time police officers. Um, so still that was only 16 years ago. Right, right. Um, and I was mm -hmm. it was interesting for me to learn that at, in the Rochester Fire Department, when I was talking to um, Chief Kurska, who's been with the department for more than two decades, mm -hmm. he, throughout his career, he was there when they hired the first full-time female firefighter. He was there when they hired the first um, African-American firefighter. Mm -hmm. So that's a pretty, pretty short history mm -hmm. um, in the history of firefighting, of law enforcement in the community. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I'll just for a moment, I'll let readers know that this story is already up on our website, postbulletin.com. It will uh, it'll come out in the paper on, on Saturday, but you can get a sneak peek at it online now. Um, I've read all of these stories, all of uh, Emily's stories and uh, Randy Peterson's stories, which comprise 
uh, a few thousand words. Uh, it's a fairly thorough uh, presentation on all of this, and you get a really good picture of what's going on there. Um, now, I recall from Randy's stories, which I actually just read moments before coming into the room and recording here, that uh, there's um, um, you know, lack of turnover is kind of a big reason why it's tough to, to fill these jobs with diverse applicants. Was that the case in law enforcement, too? Is it, uh, is it that these jobs just aren't turning over very much? Or what is it maybe the re real root cause behind um, uh, maybe the, the, if there's a lag um, in diversity? I think it's a lot of things. Um, lack of turnover definitely is one. Um, Rochester Police Chief uh, James or Jim Franklin um, you know, says that the Rochester Police Department is a destination department. It's where you go to have your career. It's not where you go to get a few years' experience and move on to another depart hmm. department. Um, when, so when you're an example of the Rochester Police Department, when you're a place that people come to to stay for your career, it's kind of hard to make quick change if someone's career is 20 years. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to the Department of Public Safety Commissioner John Harrington, mm -hmm. who at one point was Chief Franklin's boss when they mm -hmm. were both at Metro Transit together. Um, and when Harrington was Chief of Police in Metro Transit, he, he told me he was able to get diversity numbers from 5% to 50% in his tenure. But that also coincided with a large growth of Metro Transit Police okay. Department. So new positions that new didn't have positions. anybody in them. Sure. Right. Yep. Uh -huh. um, and for sworn officers in the Rochester Fire Department, or Rochester Police Department, but really all of the law enforcement and emergency response we have that we focus in this story, they aren't doing mass hirings like that where they're um, creating new positions. They're not creating 10 new positions a year. They're hiring for positions that have been vacated mostly from retirement. Um, so that can be part of an issue. Some of the things that were raised in the conversations I had is, again, not realizing that maybe that's a career for you mm -hmm. um, because you don't see someone that looks like you in that career or your cultural background is that's not looked at as a career choice. Um, education could be a barrier. Minnesota requires a two or four year degree to become a police officer or a law mm -hmm. enforcement officer, and that's not the case in every state. Mm -hmm. um, in some states, you have a high school diploma and then you go to a police academy, which I is see. where you get trained. Where here, you have to have a high school diploma and then so, some sort of higher education, typically in law enforcement or criminal justice. Mm -hmm. um, so that creates a financial barrier. Yes. Um, testing. I mean, a lot of stuff, I think in Rochester, we know a lot of stuff is Twin Cities centric. Um, so some of the testing happens up there. Maybe some of the trainings happen up there. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the means to get yourself to the cities on a regular basis, that can also be an issue. So what did you find out uh, about the uh, outlook for the future? How is this uh, problem or this issue uh, being addressed? I think everyone that I spoke to has acknowledged it's an issue in Rochester and Olmstead County. Um, they're not where they'd like to be. They're making steps to diversify, to look at ways of recruiting more people. Um, and as again, as John Harrington, the commissioner of the Department of Public Safety, told me, you know, for some pe it's for some people, it's never going to be fast enough, mm -hmm. and for others, change is scary. Mm -hmm. um, so I think this is kind of one of the things where, at least right now, no, one, no one's going to leave completely happy. There is work being done. Um, maybe it could be done faster, or maybe, you know, 
the work that's being done isn't sufficient, but there is work being done in all three departments. So this to me seems like it's extremely complicated how it would all work for law enforcement to, to, to just hire and, and where you have your pipeline of employees coming from. Um, is it is this a particular issue within law enforcement and first responders as far as diversity? Or is it a little bit slower in these career fields as it, as it might be compared to others? Or is it just generally um, maybe a symptom of sort of the workforce crisis that we're in too? I mean, there are so many jobs open compared to candidates available that right now job seekers almost have the upper hand. Um, if, let's say, 50 jobs were open, do you think there would be 50 people out there ready to take those open positions? I definitely think they get applications and they could probably fill it, whether if they were forced to fill it, whether or not it's the candidates they maybe would want is another question. Um, I know both in fire, in the fire service and police department and the sheriff's office, application numbers have gone way down. Chief Kurska um, told me, you know, basically it's been cut in half. They just don't have the applicant pool anymore for the jobs that they post. Um, pretty much every time that I've been here in the year and a half that the police department has hired, there's still vacancies after their hiring, or they're still anticipating having to do more hiring. Um, so there are candidates out there, but there also aren't enough candidates to go around nationally. I mean, everyone... I think in a lot of industries are hurting for employees. You see it here in Rochester. We have some restaurants that are closed at odd times just because they don't have right. the staffing for people. it. Mm -hmm. So I think it's it is kind of a national industry, um, you know, multi-industry issue of just having that labor force. Right. Yeah. Just there just aren't enough people out there to take the jobs. It yeah. seems that are available. Mm -hmm. Boy, we've talked a lot about this issue, and I can tell you that we have just scratched the surface. If you're really interested yeah. in this, uh, you want to make sure that you check out uh, Emily's and Randy's uh, work in this weekend's paper, or just pivot and click on it and read it online right now. So awesome. uh, thanks for your time, Emily, for coming in and talking to us about this. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Emily. Joining us now is Brian Todd. And Brian, a kindred spirit here. You've been talking about the weather. I love to talk about the weather. And you've been covering uh, and learning a ton about the flood outlook here for 2020. Tell us a bit about what you've been studying up on. Well, it's it's not good. Um, that's that's <laughs> it where it starts good, yeah. with. Uh, a, a couple of things that I've learned, uh, some of this just from conversations I've had today. Uh, I talked with a hydrologist from the National Weather Service in the Twin Cities uh craig uh, what is craig's last name anyway uh craig schmidt and uh craig and i were talking about the fact that the soil moisture is um at an unprecedentedly high level it's in the 99 percentile range uh all across minnesota not just here in southeastern minnesota but everywhere and in wisconsin and right. basically if you've got a river that's going to be dumping into uh the upper mississippi uh river area uh, whether that's the St. Croix, the, um, the Minnesota River, or, or the Mississippi itself. Um, all of this is just saturated soils. And what saturated soils means is um, every time that uh, it gets warm and the snow melts a little bit, it doesn't go down in the ground. It right. goes straight off into the rivers, the lakes, the streams, all those kinds of things. 
and uh, and washes down to um, places like Wabasha and, and Red Wing yeah. and Lake City and, and Winona and, and places where uh, they know a thing or two about flooding, but this year may be a little different. Oh, and they were dealing with it in the spring and summertime, too, as we had unprecedented levels of rainfall and hitting records in for monthly rain, weekly rain, uh, a lot of daily records set. So, yeah, we, we did mention that earlier, too, about how it just rained all spring and summer and then even into the fall uh, before the snow fell on top of it. Well, that fall rain was one of the things that had uh, Craig from the National Weather Service really concerned because uh, we got a lot of moisture right before it froze. Yeah. So that moisture got into the ground and then it froze. And, and so we've got this thick amount of water uh, that just goes all the way through the levels of the soil. It's trapped. And it's just trapped there. Uh, it's not going anywhere. He says the one piece of good news is, is that the, um, the frost this year isn't especially deep. So last year, for example, it was, the frost was pretty deep. We had a lot of cold. Um, a lot of polar vortexes. Uh, we're yeah. not getting polar vortexes this year to, the, to this point. We're already in uh, late February, which means we probably missed polar vortex season. Even if we get one, it won't be as dramatic as last year? No, yeah. it will not. It can't be. Right. And, and so, but because of that, um, last year with the um, high level of frost in the ground, uh, that pushed the water out to the lakes and streams and everything a little more quickly than, than they'd hoped. This year, one of the saving graces may be that because we don't have that deep frost, um, the water may move through the soil a little more um, like, like you would hope. And, um, but that's, uh, that's, that's one factor going in right. our favor as opposed to about 15 that aren't going yeah, in our favor. Yeah. So it's just to put it out there, I mean, we would really be fine if it did not rain or snow between now and the end of May. Oh, you know, we would be doing great. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, we have enough moisture. We have enough for the farmers. We have enough for everyone else. I, I, I don't really need any more rain. Um, my car is a little dirty, but other than that, yeah. I, uh, I can go to the car wash and that's fine. And, <laughs> and I can take care of it that way. Right. Yeah. The, the trouble is, is that, you know, people who live in, say, Lanesboro, Preston, Rochester, is that our floods, when we, when we talk about the flood outlook being really high, we're mainly talking about the Mississippi River, the Minnesota River, the Root River when you get down to, say, Houston, you know, when it's really, you know, higher levels, it's much wider over there. Our flooding in Rochester is very event-dependent. It's not like all the snow is going to melt right away. It might bring our river levels up a little bit. But our issue here is when we get a big, a big weather event. Now, if we leave that out and have a big runoff, have a warm-up in the week, we are going to have problems along the Mississippi, really no matter what. Um, so it's two different kind of areas that we're dealing with. Um, really, I, I'm kind of going on and on, but one of my bigger concerns this year is that the numbers that we see from the flood outlook, it seems like those percentages are higher than many years that we've looked at in the past. For example, um, I was just looking at the long-term, the long-range flood outlook uh, along the upper Mississippi. And um, for uh, severe flooding, the long-range outlook is of a greater than 50% chance, they say the, the percentage for a greater than 50% chance 
is 77% at Red Wing, like at the marina or wherever they measure mm-hmm. it there, and 58% up at Prairie Island, which floods every year, at least a little right. bit. Yeah. Um, and But it's, it's um, that greater than 50% chance of heavy flooding all up and down the river. I mean, every point you look at, there's, there's one where it's only moderate flooding, um, and as opposed to minor flooding. Yeah. Uh, so, so the fact that, um, if we don't get a big flood this year, uh, well, it'll be, it'll be the factor that saved us last year, which was we had a period where there was no rain or snowfall from about, um, mid-March into April, mid to late April. The other factor was, is that it was what they what they call a perfect melt. Yes. Um, I was talking with the folks at the Corps of Engineers, and they said um, what saved us last year was it would uh, get above freezing during the day, so you'd get a little bit of water runoff, and mm-hmm. then it would freeze again at night, so it wouldn't be so. It's basically like you turn the faucet on for a little bit, yes. let a little bit out, then you turn the faucet back off again. Slow and drain, it, and so it's that slow drain as opposed to just turning the faucet off and or on and walking out of the room. Right. Um, and, and yeah, and not knowing if the kids forgot to clean out the sink truck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, and that's proven to be the bigger thing. Last year was great. Once it gets down below freezing at night, that's amazing. Um, I was going to say ironically, it's coincidentally, we are also starting to see records being set locally where overnight lows generally are much warmer than they've been in the past. So we're seeing some of those records break. And hopefully this is not the spring where we start to have those warmer overnight lows. It'd be great to have that cooling trend again, especially at night. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and one of the things that um, the, the gentleman at the National Weather Service was saying was, you know, this isn't just last year's rain and, 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 and the soil moisture that came during 2019. It's 2019, it's 2018. This has been building for a while. Mm-hmm. So this isn't just, oh, we've had one bad year and look where we are. This has been a trend um, with rain, uh, with the soil moisture, with all of that, um, so that we, uh, th- that has got us to this point. Yeah, and we, uh, it used to be a big deal all the time to talk about drought. I feel like so many years, we haven't had a chance to even talk about abnormally dry. <laughs> in years, many years around here. And so, we, we haven't faced drought in forever. Uh, you, were, you were actually up at the river uh, yesterday, right? Yeah, you were up uh, touring around. And so what sort of uh, preparations did you see folks are uh, making up there to get ready for the onslaught? Well, it's still a little early. You know, one of the places we always look at is, uh, is uh, Slippery's in, in um, Wabasha. That's a fun place to look at. Well, Slippery's is, they're right, they're, they have a lower level that's mm-hmm. right on the water. It's literally a couple of feet, even in best con- conditions, from the water. Uh, Slippery's is closed right now uh, for the mm-hmm. season, so there's no one there to talk to. Um, I did go down to the, um, uh, to the uh, brewery and the bar and restaurant that's at Reed's Landing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and one of the things that they have going for them is, so the building um, is sort of to the west. Then there's the parking lot a little to the east. Uh, this is all just basically at river level. But then slightly to the east of the parking lot, in between the building and the river, essentially, 
um, is a railroad track, and it's mm-hmm. built up a little bit. It forms a natural uh, levee, essentially, for those folks. Mm-hmm. I asked one of the longtime workers there, and she said, um, "She says, you know, I'm not worried at all because uh, it's not going to come over those railroad tracks. It never does." Uh, she says, if it does, <laughs> the word never. well, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, she said, if it does, the city of uh, Red Wing is, or excuse me, of uh, Wabasha is in deep doo-doo. So um, right. let's, let's hope that does not occur. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, and that is built up pretty nicely there. So hopefully we dodged that bullet too. Yeah. So, yeah. And I was also out at the, at Lake Pepin where they were doing the drilling and the ice as they do every year to survey how deep the ice is and when they can start barge traffic. And they, they go out each week, um, starting last week, to, to drill in the ice and see what the changes are. Um, that really doesn't have anything to do with the flooding, they were saying. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, but the bigger concern, what they're looking at out there with the core, is the flow rate of the river. Um, normally, this time of year, it flows at about 15,000 cubic feet per second, mm-hmm. which sounds like a lot of water. Um, but that's, uh, that's their normal flow rate for February ish. Um, the flow rate this year is 40,000. Oh my goodness. So it's nearly three wow. times as much. That's, that's like a May or June flow rate. Right. Uh, their, their spokesman was telling me. And with that being the case, um, that means there's a lot of water. Uh, it's just all coming off the, the snow and, and the whatever. And, and, um, that's not good. Um, yeah. As as the the National Weather Service was saying today, um, that that means there's not a lot of room for error, basically. Yeah. And then looking way upstream too, I can tell you from experience, even right now, is that the little rivers that feed. So you, let's take even the middle branch of the Whitewater, where I like to go trout fishing. It's some spots where you can jump across because it's not even five or six feet. That water is running above average for height. It might be clear, but the flow rates are are well above normal for the winter time. Usually you see the water get pretty low and uh, running crystal clear, but it seems like our springs, our aquifers, reservoirs are are chock full of water. I see that a lot driving around too. I'm, I'm our regional reporter here at the Post Bulletin, which means I'm out on the road in the, in the hinterlands of southeastern Minnesota quite a bit. And, and I drive across those streams and those uh, those creeks and those little rivers, those feeders to the Mississippi. And, and they're all up. Um, yeah. I can tell you right now, they, they are all at higher levels than I've seen them this time of year before. And th- you know, that's anecdotal and, and that's not proof of anything, but that's what I'm seeing out there. Right. Well, thank goodness. I got my, my permit for my canoe updated. <laughs> we'll be ready to float around if we need to. You'll be racing in that canoe. Right. <laughs> Gonna have to learn how to paddle faster. Yeah. <laughs> Brian Todd, thank you very much for being here with us today. Talking Thanks for flooding. having me. I was uh, happy to be here. And uh, we'll find out more. Your story is already online or is it coming up soon? It will be uh, this weekend in the Post Bulletin. Um, and I'm not sure when it'll be online. I assume Saturday morning, okay. uh, bright and early at 6 a.m. when they usually uh, hit the internet airwaves. All right. Wonderful. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Joining us now is Ken Klotzbach, photo editor here at the Post Bulletin. Ken, you've got a, uh, a fun project you're working on with all the photographers here at the PB. Yeah, yeah. We have a fun group of photographers here, and we decided to do a little 
monthly, hopefully, uh, maybe a couple weeks, maybe longer than a month, but uh, photo challenge among the staff and uh, where we just pick a topic and um, everybody tries to do that. So for the last month, we did a, uh, we, everybody tried to do some natural framing with okay. their photographs, finding some visual element out there to frame the subject with. And then we all sat down and kind of voted on them and talked about it and kind of a, a way to spur our creative juices a little bit. Nice. Ken, why don't you describe what, what that means, what you mean by framing, maybe by using one of the examples. Maybe tell us what one of these pictures looks like. And, and before, we can just let, re, we can let the listeners know that this is a gallery that's on the Post Bulletin's website right now. So if you're on the site looking at, listening to the podcast, you could also click over maybe and check out this uh, gallery while we're sure, talking Sure, sure. So the top of the gallery will be the one that won, which was Joe Alquist's uh, photo he took of... Um, uh, went with an assignment of uh, inmates that are training dogs, um, uh, another Emily Cutts story, and uh, he framed, we're kind of trying to avoid the, the emphasis of the inmates and focus on the dogs, and he focused on an inmate petting a dog framed through the legs and belly of another dog, and it was just a creative and uh, a well, really cool shot. well um, executed example of that, uh, so we gave that to him. Uh, many other ones. Another one uh, Joe has is one where he got some kids are making a snow fort, and they had brought out looks like every shovel that their parents had in the garage, <laughs> and were using. I've always digging. wondered where they go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll find them in the spring melt, and uh, and uh, framed the kid digging through the hole between a bunch of shovels. So that was a creative uh, way to do that too. So these are just visual elements that are there and you're using that to kind of frame your subject. Right. So you're already out on numerous stories per day. So this is a good opportunity to not only just cover the story, mm-hmm. but find a new creative right. way to do it. Right. And any assignment we go on, we try and shoot, you know, aim for at least five, maybe a dozen different photographs that we're going to put online or, you know, have to choose from for in print or whatever. And, so you kind of spend a little time looking at your subject and trying to think of a unique way to have an eye-catching image, you know, something that's a little out of the ordinary, something that uh, maybe shows or explains it better, but then also, uh, you know, uh, is something that the viewer may remember and get them to read the story. Yeah, so why framing, Ken? What, uh, what does that actually add to the image, or what does it do for me as the viewer? Why would I, uh, why would I be interested in this? Um, it's just... For framing, well, I mean, which is another thing we make it into is uh, uh, layers. So we're layering um, some of the visual elements. Like with the shovels one, obviously those shovels were used a big part of making that snow fort. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to frame them in those shovels kind of draws the... uh, you know, the the visual cue that they were made with those shovels. I don't know. And then with the dogs, of course, it's just it's just a, a foreground element of having the dog's legs mm-hmm. uh, frame the uh, main subject, which is another pup on the floor waiting for his next, uh, next treat, I guess. So in the he, case of these shovels, it's actually almost a piece of the storytelling, having those shovels exactly. in the foreground and the kids yeah. working in the yes. snowbank in the background. And, and so it's, uh, it's implied. And uh, it, yes. you know, sometimes we sense things that we see maybe that um, that maybe aren't even in so many words, right? You just right. you just see that and you know intuitively that those right. shovels were used. And this was a part of our conversation too: was was did the framing elements have uh, context to the photo? There was one that we debated 
was uh, some basketball players that were sitting on the bleachers watching the game, and they were they were smiling and laughing. Um, and the visual element was a hand railing that kind of circled around one of the players' faces. And one of the photographers was like, "Oh, that doesn't that that doesn't count because the hand railing doesn't add any context or anything." And so we had to argue what that. Well, it showed that it was a gym. I don't know. It didn't really matter, but it was kind of a knock on it that. That the best ones that we liked best had yeah. a real tie to the subject. But that's also a, po- a good point that you're creating art <clears throat> when you're taking, that's part of it. I know you, you kind of <laughs> maybe shaking your head a little bit there, but when you're talking about these elements, they're artistic elements mm-hmm. to your craft. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess we can always debate amongst friends, you know, what are the elements that are in these photos that make them what they are? And, well, I feel know. like when we're at our best, we are are reaching beyond the obvious. You know, we are, we're not just getting a, a portrait of somebody, we're getting a portrait that has these other elements, you know, color and light and, mm-hmm. and uh, layers, foreground, background, midground, uh, and framing and all these things. And so we're, we're looking for ways to, to draw out every photo we do to make it a little yeah. more interesting. And for those who don't know, if you haven't seen these pictures, what I really like about both of them is that uh, in this almost goes without saying for you or those of us in the room, but what I, you, like when you said it's implied, the shovels are out of focus. Mm-hmm. The kid is in focus. The kid's smiling, playing in the snow fort, but you've got all the shovels right there that are out of focus. And also, I had to look again when you mentioned it, but I didn't realize at first uh, when I, because I had seen this picture many times. I read the story when it came out about the dogs being trained, but I didn't even notice that it was a dog in the foreground. That was it out was of like focus. A, a chair or a table. Yeah, it did. And stuff. then it was like, yeah, yeah, well, yeah obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's a dog. So I brought <laughs> you back legs. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look again, Randy. Look again. Right. There might be hey, more. Yeah. What do you see? <laughs> <laughs> Which is, so this is also a little bit of a, is it fair to say this is a touch of a competition amongst you all? It is there? a little bit of a competition. I brought in a special Dwight Schrute bobblehead doll <laughs> that is being passed around to the winner. Uh, nice. Joe has it on his desk now. <laughs> Um, hopefully I get it back someday, but, uh, yeah, both he and Tracy shoot far more assignments than I do now. So I, I kind of wonder if I'll ever see that thing again, but that's, that's fine. That's not the point, you know, sure. and it's, it's great discussion. Really. I think the best part of it is it gets us, uh, to sit down and talk photos for an hour or whatever, yeah. however much time we have and, and throw out ideas. And, and, uh, sometimes it leads to a, maybe we should do a story on this or whatever. And, right. So, well, Ken, you do such a nice job of leading your department, and uh, it's kind of fun to talk about this with you. What do you guys have coming up next? Is there another, so the next uh, one? I, we were. It's like one of the grayest blast times of the year here in, in the Prairie Land, and and uh, so our next challenge is color, and who can come with the most colorful photograph? And and that doesn't mean just taking your Photoshop color slider and cranking it up. It means finding colorful scenes or or. Uh, um, just looking for colorful light, looking for um, colorful painted objects, whatever it is, yeah. but incorporating those into what it is you need to shoot. So you're not just shooting color for color's sake. You're finding it in whatever it is you're assigned to How shoot. How long will you be uh, working on that for? Well, about a month or, okay. you know. A month or so. So if you're uh, getting the paper at home, look at the yeah. look at the photos and see, you know, you might see some of that effort uh, taking shape before yeah. your very eyes. I'd see some, some new color in a drab March winter. Yeah. So, so I have one more question for you before I, I know you got a, a thing you got to get to really sure. quick. Yes. Get some colorful pictures. Yes. Um, you mentioned five to twelve photos that are going to show up in a story. 
uh-huh. postbulletin.com. Yes. What is the difference in what you're doing between between print and the website? How many pictures are going to show up in a print story? Is that just one? Usually it's just one. We, we don't have that much room. Um, we try for a second photo. You can really add a lot of context with a second photo. You mm-hmm. have your subject, but then you have the scene, right? And a lot of times those are two different photos and... And uh, but but there's just not space for that. But um, yeah. But then online, with like most any assignment, especially if it's an event, we'll spend some time and get um, you know a dozen photos or so, hopefully, and uh, show many facets of whatever's going on. And if you're showing twelve, how many pictures are you taking at an event? How many are you looking through? Do you think on average? Uh, that varies greatly. Is that top secret? Uh, it's not top secret, <laughs> but I tell you, the uh, large capacity SD cards that we get are. Very helpful. I started back in the day of 36 exposure uh, film, and right, and you didn't want to change that out too many times. But no, we, you know, a sporting event will shoot a, a couple hundred frames for one event, maybe more than that, and uh, and then some of these other events, maybe it's 50 or 100 or you know, wow. it varies quite a bit. So, all right, excellent. All right, Ken Close Bash, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, how do we pronounce that again? I, that we're just talking Klotzbach, Mr. <laughs> Peters. Yeah, Klotzbach. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming. You bet. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Ken. Am I done now? We're about to wrap things up here, Jeff. Yes, Randy. Yeah, we we have to get a name for our podcast. We sure do. The Post Bulletin Podcast yet to be named. You know, I'm starting to gravitate to just Post Bulletin Podcast at this point, but it works. Um, we uh, we threw it out to the listeners last week. We uh, had a few names come in on Facebook. Um, I'm going to just pull <laughs> this up on my phone here. So one was uh, from our former editor Mike Klein, uh, the PB Cast. Okay. Uh, right. One was from our uh, neighbor uh, from the Post Bowl and offices here over a custom alarm, Lee Johnson. Thought uh-huh. we should call it the Post Bowl. Okay. Which I don't mm-hmm. think was. I don't think was very <laughs> it was, nice. Was tongue in cheek. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was tongue in cheek. We know Lee. <laughs> and then uh, Lauren Else, who writes our uh, uh, couple columns for the paper, suggested Radio PB and J, but only if I'm hosting. I guess I'm the J. You, yeah. You're the right. B. Right. Um. Uh, or I, I guess I could be the P and the J. I don't know. Right, but and we're all just a little bit of radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I click like on all of those, but really more as a courtesy. Was that it not was funny? And Andy's yeah. he's cringing. Yeah. <laughs> you guys. So if anyone does have ideas, of course, yeah. we've just kicked this off. Maybe yeah. we have one listener. Maybe we have five. Yeah. If you have made it this far, we'd love your advice on a title. Otherwise, we're going to have to pick one, I think, before the third episode. If you have made it this far, um, you know, you almost deserve naming rights. Yeah, <laughs> news know. at postbulletin.com. Yeah. Are you going to give yeah. your cell phone number out, too? Is that, they can contact Yeah, right. You there. can text me, that. call me, stop by my house. <laughs> <Right>. uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally open to that. As long as it's before 3 a.m., that's fine. So, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for listening. News at postbulletin.com is where you can find us. Um, We love digging deeper into the stories that we're bringing to you uh, in in print and online at postbulletin.com. And as always, we just like to throw it out there. You can support local journalism by subscribing to the Post Bulletin. It's easy to do. You could actually do that. We we do take subscriptions. Absolutely. It happens. Yep. 
Um, so yeah, uh, go to our website. I think there's some fancy buttons you can click on there that'll take you right to where you have to go to get it done. So um, if you have questions, give me a call and name our podcast too while Should you're at be, it. No, it's straightforward. Yeah. Absolutely. And we're going to be here again next week. Yeah. Thanks right. for listening, everybody. This was fun. Thanks. Have a great Thanks, weekend. Man.